0: Good afternoon. thank you for joining us. If you would stand, we'll get started with our service. James 5, 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord, draweth nigh. It's good to be in the Lord's house today. Caleb, would you open us in order, prayer, please? And drumming scene page 419, sound the battle cry.
1: So I'm uh, breaking J.N. Wright. I come to him just moments before, and so I want to take your schedule and cut it up just a little bit. But uh, so this week was the Home Missions Conference down at Heartland, and uh, they honored Crystal's dad. Uh, and so um, they played a video uh, before uh, as they were honoring him, and I just thought it would really be cool, uh, in case you hadn't seen it, that you might see it. And uh, so we're going to show that at the.
0: All right. Well, this time we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, every year we uh, have what we call the Faith for a Lifetime. In fact, I um, enjoyed uh, just watching even before the service. So I'm looking at the pictures out along the, uh, the hallway here uh, behind the grandstand area. And, uh, and it's there. Um, We don't want to make much of men. We want to make much of God who uses men that prove to be faithful for a lifetime. And we really want those men and, of course, the wife that was represented by the husband that's there as well to really inspire uh, the next generation of of servants uh, for Christ. So this would include people like this. I don't know that I'll read all these names, but it began back in 2006. Bob Stewart, Larry Clayton, Roy Thompson, J.C. Joyner, Bill Bramlett, um, the Howard brothers, or the, I'm sorry, the Quinlan brothers, Howard and Homer, Carl Boonstrom. Um, <laughs> yeah. Faithful men, faithful for a lifetime. I'll just keep going. Jerry McDonald, Gary Williams, Roger House, Keith uh, Benninger, Brother B., Dave Hardy, Brother Aldridge, Brother Thrift, Chester Thrift, Sam Davison, Larry O'Barrow, W.L. Smith, John Quinlan, Floyd Schneck-Snyder, And this year, we're glad. Um, and in conjunction with the uh, church planning emphasis, uh, 450 from French. <laughs> The Don Rice. Amen. So we're gonna watch a video and we'll recognize him. Amen.
2: Don Rice was saved on the third Sunday night of March, 1972. In the fall of that same year, he enrolled at Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College in San Dimas, California. After graduating in 1977, Brother Rice was called to pastor Fellowship Baptist Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Soon after, Don married the love of his life, Sharon Brown, on July 13, 1979. After moving to East Texas, Brother Rice was called to pastor Bible Baptist Church of Waxahachie, where he pastored for almost five years. In January 1986, God called Brother Rice to the small Texas panhandle community of Fritch. Through the decades that followed, Brother Rice remained faithful to the place God called him, effectively pastoring the church and the community. He coached little league sports and was the voice of the Sanford Fritch Eagles high school football team. He was affectionately called preacher by many people in town even if they had never attended Faith Baptist Church. Brother Rice pastored Faith Baptist Church for 36 years. He once said, a shepherd ought to smell like the sheep. His door was always open, and there was always a spot on the couch at his home where people could stop by to visit the preacher. Brother Rice never allowed his pursuit of ministry to be a detriment to his family. By God's grace and through Brother Rice's faithful example at home, Brother Rice eventually saw all four of his children serving the Lord as adults. He loved each one of his five grandchildren. Brother Rice's oldest son now pastors Faith Baptist Church in Fritch, and his son-in-law pastors North Hills Baptist Church in Vista, California. Brother Rice had an unashamed love for Heartland Baptist Bible College. He helped the college during the difficult years of Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College and supported the school as it moved to Oklahoma City. He was honored to preach chapel several times, delighting the students with his practicality, humor, and genuineness. He served as the first Alumni Association president during the first years of Heartland. Brother Rice loved missionaries, both at home and abroad. Each year, Brother Rice would start the Heartland National Church Planning Conference by being the first to stand and shout the all-familiar words, 50 from Fridge." He had a big personality and loved to have fun. From time to time, during various meetings at Heartland, he was known to stand up and to begin song leading everyone seated behind him. When he was in a chapel service or conference, he always sat in the same spot, in the back, on the ground level. He did this intentionally because he wanted students to know where to find him. He wanted to be able to tell them there was a pastor from a small church in a small town that loved them and would help them any way he could. Brother Rice was known to be a friend of pastors. He was always available to listen and to give encouragement to many preachers near and far. To honor Brother Rice's lifetime of committed service to his Lord, his family, his community, and to God's work anywhere, including to Heartland Baptist Bible College, we are pleased to present the 2024 Faithful for a Lifetime Award to the family of Don Rice.
0: I'd like to ask you all to come up if you could. <clears throat> yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. So I know there's a lot of people here that were touched by the life of Brother Don Rice who just went home to be with the Lord this year, and this is his family, his dear wife, Ms. Sharon, and, uh, and sons and daughter, and Crystal's not able to be here as she's with child in California and just about to deliver, her husband was telling me, and, um, but Brother Rice was a friend of preachers, and there was a lot of preachers in here that have been impacted especially in that panhandle area of Texas, but beyond that, really. And so we just wanted to show our love and appreciation. We're giving flowers, um, Angie, if you would, uh, to Miss Sharon. And then this plaque, we have one that will hang in the, the hallway there and then one that they will take. And it says, A Faithful for a Lifetime Award, Heartland Baptist Bible College Honors, Pastor Don Rice, of Faith Baptist Church of Fritch, Texas, for over 45 years of faithful service to his Lord. Heartland acknowledges Pastor Rice's faithfulness To the gospel preaching ministry preaching the word and pastoring three churches the last church being 36 years of ministry pastor rice will always be remembered for his servant's heart and his faithfulness for a lifetime given on this day the 16th of january 2024 for god is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed towards his name in that you've ministered to the saints and do minister, (laughs) and so help me show appreciation for the Rice family.
1: amen. So I just thought that did touch us as a church having had uh, Crystal and Chuck here and um, having had Brother Rice preach for us in VBS and then uh, having him here of course when Brother Chuck was ordained so one felt like we ought to share that with the church. They raised over $960,000 for the cause of home missions uh, this year and so we sure praise God for that. All right Brother Jay come on back. Join me in standing,
3: we'll be singing page 397, little as much. Drifts away and I look back on the years with memories of happiness and bitter tears through it all there is a common thread that cannot be ignored you were there making me to be your servant chance. Lord, I know you were working too. In your purpose, and my thankful heart will say
4: We'll be in the book of Haggai, chapter number two. And while you're turning there, uh, maybe in case there was somebody that uh, missed Wednesday, or they were sleeping, or just just to catch everybody up, but while you guys are turning to the to the second chapter of the book, we're just gonna catch us all up with some uh, some information. So obviously, we know uh, the book of Haggai uh, contains the the prophecies or the messages uh, that God uh, told the prophet Haggai to deliver to his people and. The prophet Haggai was used to deliver messages to the people of Judah. And as we talked about Wednesday, uh, at this time, the, the people that he was witnessing to, the people that he was uh, prophesying to, would have been a, uh, a part of what we call the remnant. Um, after their captivity, after they were released from Persia, uh, there was a group of, of Israelites, uh, specifically of the tribe of Judah, who, who returned back to, to, to their hometown, to, to their capital, back to Jerusalem. And once they got there, uh, God gave him a, a, a task, right? God gave him a task to rebuild his temple. The temple that Solomon had first built many years ago had been destroyed uh, during the conquest, what, what, ended, what ended them up in captivity. And when, when they got back to Jerusalem, God said, the, the, the job I have for you is to rebuild this temple, rebuild my house, uh, the one that was destroyed so many years ago. Um, and we see that they, they, they got to lay down the foundation, they built up the foundation, they stopped. For 14 years, they, they stopped working on, on the house of the Lord. In fact, they started working on their own homes. Uh, they started chasing their own things. And we talked about last week how this is when Haggai uh, kind of comes into the scene and God uses Haggai to, to kind of deliver a message to the people of Judah to get their priorities in check, to, to get their priorities right back on track. And praise the Lord, they listened. They, they got right back on track. They started building up the temple of the Lord again. After 14 years, they start over. They, they start building again. Now, this next message that, that God tells Haggai to, to deliver to the people comes one month after they had started building again. And if you found your, your place there in chapter 2 of the book of Haggai, if you can go ahead and stand out of uh, honor of reading God's word. It says in verse number 2 and in verse number 1, it says, In the seventh month, in, w- in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua. If remember remember, uh, on Wednesday, Zerubbabel would have been the governor of Jerusalem, and Joshua would have been the high priest, it says right there, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I have uh, coven- covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt. So my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens, and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, and the desire of all the nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Uh, Last verse here, it says, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Uh, I just want to, the title of my message is, uh, Beware of the Good Old Days. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this day of life you've given us, Lord. Thank you for a great house, a great day we got to spend in your house already, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord, for the, the special music, the congregationals, and even the message that Pastor brought this morning, Lord. Thank you for the testimony of, of Brother Rice and even Miss B. Cooper, Lord, if, uh, she was closer here to home, Lord. I just, I just thank you, Lord, for, for those people, Lord, that we get to, to look up to, Lord, with respect. And we're just thankful, Lord, that they get to spend a, a day, uh, a Sunday with you up in heaven. I just pray you be with this message, Lord. Give me the words to say. Hear to me pray, amen. You may be seated. Uh, beware of the good old days. And we've heard that phrase before, right? I, I don't think I have the right to say, oh, I miss the good old days because I'm, I'm only 24. But by, I've heard a lot of people talk to me about, oh, you don't know what it was like back in the good old days. Um, you've heard that phrase a lot. In fact, let, if we talk about the good old days, uh, something, you know, maybe what Americans view as the good old days. Here, here are some prices for things um, 50 years ago. Here we go. Uh, and I, of course, some of these are—it's not fair because of inflation and all these things—but it was still quite different. A gallon of regular gasoline would have cost about 36 cents back in 1972. That's the equivalent of two dollars and fifty cents today. That's still pretty cheap. That's pretty awesome. Uh, a ribeye steak would have been two forty-nine a pound. A gallon of vanilla ice cream would have been a dollar twenty. A milk would have been eighty-nine cents a gallon. Now ah, the good old days. Bacon would have been seventy-nine cents a pound. Wow. Yeah, and there's some vegetables, which I don't care about. Um, <laughs> and if you wanted a car, let's say you wanted some brand-new wheels, uh, a sweet ride uh, in the in 1970s, if you had $2,500, uh, what, what car could you get for 2500 bucks today now? A, a, maybe an old, I don't know, something that barely even runs, a toaster on wheels, I guess? Well, back then, for 2500 bucks, speaking of Fords, you could drive off the dealership with a brand-new Ford Mustang. $2,500. Man, the good old days. Now it's just prices, right? And whenever you hear somebody talk about the good old days, they talk, they don't just talk about the prices, but they talk even about what, what America used to be like or how everybody used to function. Uh, back then, you always heard this. Back in my, back in the good old days, you didn't have to lock your house. You could leave your doors unlocked. It was fine. And some people say, back in the good old days, the only places that had security systems or alarm systems were the banks. That was, those were the only places back in the good old days. Um, back in the good old days, you can just walk over to your neighbor's house and ask for some flour or some sugar, and you wouldn't get shot on their lawn, right? Uh, back, in the, back, back in the good old days, uh, we even we, you know that young people used to have manners. They used to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. They used to open the door for ladies. They used to, they used to show respect to their elders and even help them with certain tasks uh, instead of now making fun of them or... Or filming funny YouTube pranks on the on the elderly, right? Uh, the good old days used to be different. Uh, back in the good old days, people would sing the national anthem, in unity, right? Back in the good old days, um, a crazy example I read, a, I was reading up on this, is there was a U.S. airline company that uh, one of their new policies is you can't sing the national anthem because you don't want to offend any of their um, um, any non-citizens. They could they could get their feelings hurt if you sing it. Um, Back in the good old days, you didn't care. You sang the national anthem, right? You respected the men and women in uniform. Um, back, in the national, ba- back in the day, you, you wouldn't kneel whenever the national anthem was played. You'd stand. Just, just, some, just some examples of, of what? Of the good old days. And every, every maybe elderly person or uh, just any, anybody really likes looking back at what we refer to as the good old days, back when, when, when things were different. And, and in our human perspective, things were, things were better, the good old days. And um, it's, it's that very same idea that these people were dealing with in this passage here. As we come to our text, uh, we, we have another message sent from God through the mouth of of the prophet Haggai. And he, he comes to the people and in verse two, he says, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedech, the high priest. And to the rest of the people, he says. In verse 3, here's this question that, that, that through Haggai, God asks the, the rest of the people, the people of Judah. I mean, this is a month after they started building up the, the temple again. He says, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? Referring to the temple, the temple of the Lord. The temple that Solomon had built. And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? God's asking the people, how many of you remember what Solomon's temple looked like? And if you remember it, how does it compare to the building you're building now? It looks like nothing, doesn't it? Now why would God ask them this question? Before we get to that answer, um, let's, let's, uh, let's put on our thinking caps, our imagination caps, and I'm not going to read it all because it's quite a lengthy read, but uh, if we were to close our eyes and, and uh, as God asked them this question, I want us to just kind of go through what it is that these, the, the elderly people, the, 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 the priests, and even the Levites, what was it that they were remembering? What was it that they were comparing their new building to? Well, uh, we have that. I'm not going to read it, of course, but I will give you kind of a, a summary. And uh, you've got to realize, as soon as they came out of captivity and, and they started building up their building again, they were probably excited. They remember the, the beautiful temple that, that Solomon had built. It was beautiful, and we'll get into that in a minute. But as they started building this new building, laying brick after brick, maybe their excitement over this awesome building uh, quickly turned to disappointment. Why? Because this building we're building looks nothing like the old temple that I remember growing up. This looks nothing like the temple that Solomon built. And, and their excitement turned to, to what? Probably discouragement. Why? Because uh, the building that, te- that Solomon had built, that the temple that Solomon had built, um, just imagine with me here we go it was 90 feet long 30 feet wide 45 feet high striking with all its beauty because of the white limestone in it it was built with it because and because of the cedar that were upon the walls because and also contrasted by the golden exterior and the, the entire interior of the temple was covered with beautiful cedar walls the floorboards were pine all of it was overlaid with beautiful gold. And if you went into the holy place, it was 60 feet long. It was decorated with walls and carved with gourds and cherubims and, bu- and bu- palm trees and open carved flowers. Uh, there were gold chains that covered across the doors leading to the holy place, to the holy of holies. And the holy place contained 10 golden lampstands and 10 golden tables of showbread. Beautiful, right? Beautiful. And you've gone out of the outer court of the temple into the holiest place and into the holy of holies. Think about this. A 30-foot cube all overlaid with gold, two massive cherubims made of olive wood, carved in gold, extended the length of the whole room, whose wings outstretched itself, whose tips touched one another. And the walls of the temple decorated with beautiful carvings. And maybe somebody did the math because I couldn't have done it. Uh, people say that it could this building, this temple that Solomon had built in today's money, would have been worth between 20 and 30 million dollars. Beautiful. And as the children of Judah returned back to their desolate land that they hadn't been to in over 70 years, and then they began to eventually build the temple of the Lord once again, and they were excited. They remembered what the temple of Solomon looked like. And as they laid brick by brick and they started realizing, this building looks nothing like the building temple, the, the building Solomon had built. There's a problem here, and God foresaw this problem. He, he saw their hearts, and in fact, we realize that uh, in the book of Ezra, which I'll turn there, you don't, if you want to turn there, you can. Ezra chapter 3, I'll just read it. Ezra chapter 3, we realize, we read that they, they were in fact, they, they were a little sad. They were discouraged of this new building. It says in verse 12, this is after they had laid the foundation. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men, they had seen the first house, the temple Solomon built, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, and they wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. Because in the next verse, that you couldn't tell who was rejoicing and who was weeping. Uh, obviously, the people who remembered the temple that Solomon had built, they were looking back at the good old days and saying, "Man, this building doesn't stack up." This building just really doesn't compare. And then God asks them through the prophet Haggai, he says, you remember the old building, don't you? And you're realizing, hey, this doesn't look the same. This looks like nothing compared to the good old days, compared to the building, the temple that Solomon had built. This looks like nothing compared to the, the temple you remember growing up. And this was a problem that God wanted to address. He needed to address this. Why? I think it's because the well, Bible tells us not what I think; it's what the Bible tells us that um, God had to sort of encourage the children of Judah through this, through this time, through this time of discouragement. Because while they were standing there, thinking of the good old days, thinking of 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 what this building could have been, or thinking of how this building is not what it used what, what it used to be back in the day, um, maybe they were at risk for for stopping the work again. And God said, "No, there's a problem here that I have to address. I'm going to encourage you guys." through this discouragement. You guys are looking back at the good old days, looking at the temple, what the temple used to be, and yes, in your eyes, it doesn't compare. It doesn't look the same. But I'm going to encourage you with some things. And, and God, does, God does very much that. He encourages them through this problem, through, 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 them, through their discouragement, looking back at, at the previous temple and the glory of it, and this temple just not living up to it. He encourages them in, in a few different ways. In fact, in Haggai chapter 2, verse 4, it says... Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel. And then he says, and be strong, O Joshua. And later on he says, and ye people of the land, saith the Lord, uh, and the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord. Three times God tells them, be strong, be strong, be strong. Why? Why should they be strong? For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Yes, I understand that the new temple doesn't really stack up to the old one. But I'm going to encourage you in a few ways. Here's the first way. Be strong. Why? Because I'm with you. Because my presence is there with you. And why is that important? Well, maybe that people thought that because this temple didn't stack up to the previous temple that Solomon had built, maybe God was very pleased with, their, with, with the work they were doing. But God's saying, no, 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 no. Don't you worry. Be strong. I'm there with you. I approve of what you're doing. I told you to do what you're doing. I approve of this building project. Be strong. Don't be discouraged. I am there present with you. I approve of what you're doing. We're to kind of get a flight through these. But he encouraged the people by reminding them, by promising them his presence, his presence throughout this whole task he had given unto them. And even that word, be strong, we see that God used the same phrase to, to encourage Joshua when he, when he took leadership over Moses. We see that even David, whenever he encouraged Solomon with this very same phrase, be strong, when Solomon himself uh, got the task of building the temple that is now being compared to the temple they're trying to rebuild, God's encouraging them the same way, saying, be strong, be strong. Why? Because I'm going to be there with you. I'm promising you my presence. You know, one th- it would have been one thing for Haggai to say, come on, guys, just tough it out, keep on going. But no, Haggai, through God, because of God, wanted to give the people something that they could set their feet on. This encouragement couldn't have been something that was just wishy-washy. No, their encouragement had to be something that, that was a solid foundation. And what a better solid foundation than the promise of God saying, I will be there with you. I am present there with you. I approve of what you're doing. I'm telling you to do this, and therefore it has my my stamp of approval. I will be there with you through the whole thing. In verse 5, we see in the next area that, that God encourages them. It says, according to the word that I have covenanted with you, when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. And back when the tabernacle was first dedicated by Moses, God made a covenant with his people. It says in Exodus 29, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And they've been through a lot up to this point, have they not? Uh, they've been back and forth, serving God, serving idols, serving God, serving idols, sinning against God, getting right with God, so much so that they were, God gave them into captivity to the back, to, uh, in Persia, and, and now they're back home. They're, they're trying to rebuild this, this temple. They've been through a lot. But God's trying to tell them something. He says, you guys have been through a lot, and maybe you guys haven't been the most faithful, but let me tell you something. The covenant that I made with, with you, my people, back when Moses was leading you guys, let me tell you what, I'm not breaking the covenant that covenant still stands. Not only am I promising my presence, not only am I promising you my strength, but I'm here to tell you, I'm here to remind you about something. I'm here to remind you that I made a covenant with you so many years ago, and me, the same, the same God who was there for David and the same God that was there for King Solomon when he built the first temple, is the very same God who is keeping up the, his end of the promise, his end of the bargain, his covenant with you people. You are still my people. I'm trying to remind you about that. Not only will I be present with you, but guess what? You're still my people. I've made a covenant with you, and I'm not going to break it. And then verses, well, we're going to we're going to come back to verse six and seven, uh, but in verse eight, I love this. It says, "The silver is mine, and the gold is mine," saith the Lord of hosts. And when I was reading through this, it kind of just struck me like that's kind of weird. Just kind of shoves that in there. Uh, but if you think about it, it it's kind of awesome, because you know what did we talk about? The children of Israel. That The children of Judah had just left captivity. They, they didn't have much. They, they were struggling for crops, for resources. And God just had to remind them about something really quickly. And what's that? God's saying, you know these riches, the, this silver and this gold? Don't worry about it. It's all mine. It's mine anyways. And because you're doing what I told you to do, and because I promised my presence, and because I'm promising and I'm reminding you of the covenant I made with you, just, just, just something added on top, don't worry about the resources. They're all mine anyways. I control them. I'll provide the things that you need to accomplish this task. And yes, you might not have the gold that was, that was used to build King Solomon's temple. And yes, you might not have uh, the, the beautiful trees that were used to build Solomon's temple. But let me tell you something. I'm in charge of the resources, and I will provide for you what you need to build the task that I've given you. And we'll go back to verses 6 and 7. It says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens, and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. And in verse 9 he says, The glory of this latter house, of the house they're building now, shall be greater than of the former. I know it doesn't look like much, but the house I'm having you build now, the temple I've commissioned for you guys to build now, is going to be far greater than, in the temple Solomon had built, saith the Lord of Hosts, and in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of Hosts. And that's awesome because this is this is this is this is a prophecy pretty much. And we're, we're, I'm going to tell you guys how it is and why it is. But so they, they built the second temple, okay. And by the time the New Testament came around, uh, Herod had 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 rebuilt the temple again, okay. But here's the thing. Jews recognized, even though Herod had rebuilt the temple, the Jews still recognized it as a second temple. They still recognized it as the same building, as the same temple. And that was the very same temple that when Jesus Christ came to earth, he made, a, he made a visit by there, didn't he? Man, the glory that was filled, little did they know, that they were building a temple that, yeah, it didn't stack up to the one King Solomon made, but God said, I'm looking so far in the future that one day my son in the flesh is going to swing by the temple you guys are building. And not only that, but in Hebrews, this very verse is quoted. Uh, Verse 7 is quoted. I'm going to read it here. It says, this is Hebrews 12. It says, Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, and those things which cannot be shaken may remain. So what's God saying here? He's saying, guys, don't worry. I'm promising you my presence. I'm reminding you that you're still my people. Don't worry about the resources because they're all mine anyways. And one last thing, the temple you guys are building now is going to be far greater than the temple Solomon built. Why? Because I'm going to bring so much more glory through it through my son. And one day, Christ is coming back and peace will be upon the earth. And the glory that I bring with that to the temple you guys built will be far greater than than anything you could have imagined with King Solomon's temple. And God's trying to encourage him through this. Yes, yes, it might, not, it might not stack up to the good old days. It might be different. It's not as good as it used to be, but I'm telling you, I'm trying to encourage you through this. I'm going to be there with you. I'll strengthen you. I'll provide the resources. And this temple will be far greater than King Solomon's. The good old days. <clears throat> Man, we talked about the good old days earlier, didn't we? And th- those were some funny illustrations. Um, but there's also, you could say, some spiritual good, days, good, uh, good old days, isn't there? Is there not? The good old days. Uh, there was time when, when we as a society, we had a respect for God and for the things of God. There was time when, uh, because God had said it, men were men and ladies were ladies, and there was no questioning it. Right? Uh, there was. There was a time when. Um, uh, homosexuality was frowned upon as a society. Uh, there was a time where churches were a place to go and worship God with respect and honor, not a not a rock and roll concert with stage lights and women preachers and motivational speeches. Uh, there was a time where revival used to break across, break out across the country all the time. There was a time back in the good old days, you could say, when people used to flood the church and you couldn't get into the church because there were just so many people there wanting to hear the man of God preach. The good old days, there was a time when families loved and honored God. Why? Because the, the, the father and the mother and the mother were servants of God, and they said, you know what? We're going to lead our family to serve and honor God with our lives. The good old days. There was times in America where you, you weren't even a, necessarily a Christian, but you had Christian values. Remember you guys, you, I, I know I've heard of that. Not when I was growing up, obviously, but from what I've heard is there was times where, where men and women who, even though they didn't go to church Sundays or, or Wednesdays, what, they still, they still had a fear of God and they still respected each other with morals. And, and, and there was a time in America, you could say in the good old days, where, where everybody just seemed to have a fear of God. They, they weren't going to slander His name. They weren't gonna, even if they didn't believe in Him per se, they weren't going to speak up against God. They feared Him. There was, there, was, there, was, there was a time of, you could say, spiritual good old days in America. Good old days. And ju- ju- just like the nation of Judah, they were looking back, looking back at the previous building, saying, man, those were the good old days. Look at this mess. It's never going to stack up. God, God steps in and encourages them. And, and those, those, those very same promises that God encouraged them with, let me tell you something, they're still there for us today. You say, okay, but why do we need them? Well, I'm just going to be honest with you guys, okay? you guys. You guys can see this already. I'm going to make a statement, okay? Uh, we're not in the good old days anymore, the good old days. And the, doesn't it doesn't seem like we're going to get back to the good old days, right? In fact, the Bible tells us that the days will wax worse and worse. So we're only going downhill from here. Yeah, we're not, we're not in the good old days anymore. And we're not going back to the good old days. The world is getting worse and worse. Sin is taking over every aspect of our society And Satan has convinced people that living in sin is now the new right way to live. It's normal to drink, party, and do drugs. It's normal to engage in sexual promiscuity before and outside of marriage. Uh, America has fallen away from the standards that even made the country uh, the greatest country in the world in the first place. Sexuality is being slapped in the face of every American every day on your way to work or even scrolling through your phone. Uh, The LGBT and trans communities seem to be running the country at times. People don't know the difference between a man and a woman. Uh, people don't know the difference between right and wrong, and they're taking God out of everything, out of the schools, out of every little aspect of our country. God's getting taken out of there. And you're now in the minority if you try to live a life that resembles holiness or separation, and you're a bigot if you even say you're a Christian. Does that sound like the good old days to you? It doesn't. And there's so many people that can sit here and look back and say, I remember the good old days where I can worship God and everybody had respect for God and people had morals and and all this sick stuff wasn't taking over the world. Man, those are the good old days. Yes, man, those good old days. I wish we could go back to the good old days. Looks like we're past those good old days. Not only that, but churches across the world, or especially in the U.S., nowadays are looking more like the world than they are looking like Christ, who's supposed to be living in them. Uh, Christians talk like the world Christians uh, live like the world Christians drink like the world Christians are just as immoral as the world and Christians for some reason seems to be the most ashamed of God than anybody else in the world that's not how it was in the good old days was it? things just don't seem to be as good as they used to be and things are just getting worse and worse every day and let me tell you just like these people needed some encouragement we need some encouragement. We need something that we can, we can set our feet on. We need something we can ground ourselves on. Because yes, we're past the good old days. And things do keep changing. Things do keep getting worse and worse. But there's something that never changes. And those are the promises that God has given us in his word. Those things will never change. And those promises that he, he reminded the, the children of Judah about are the same promises that you and I in 2024 sitting in Shawnee Mission Baptist Temple can ground our feet upon. And yes, we're past the good old days, and yes, things get worse and worse, but the things that will never change are the promises God has told us to be true, the things He has promised to every single one of His believers. What does He do? He promises His presence in our life, does He not? Psalms 145.18, The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. And it may seem that uh, as the days get worse and worse and worse, and, and people keep on maybe uh, betraying you, that, that you seem all alone. That every, every way you turn, whether it be family, whether it be friends, maybe, maybe you had a spouse who, who's no longer with you. Whatever it may be, it may seem that you're alone, but God said, you know what? Don't, don't worry, be strong. I'm going to be with you at all, at all times. He promises that in Psalms. Not only that, but he, he even made a covenant with us, did he not? Uh, we're obviously, we're not, we're not the Jewish people. It's not what I'm talking about. But you know what, what the, the promise that, I, that, I, that he reminds me of every day is Romans ten thirteen. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God promised that if I call upon his name, he will save me. And guess what? He's not breaking that promise. And God also promised that once we're saved, we're always saved. John five twenty four. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. That means it will never end. And shall not come into condemnation, but have passed from death unto life. God promised once I'm saved, I'm always saved. And you know what God also promised to us is that Christ is coming back for us. In fact, Christ tells us that himself in John 14, 3. And if I go to prepare and prepare a place for you, I will come again and and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. God promises to be present with us through this life. God promises to save us. God promises to come back and get us. And God even promises to provide for us in his word, does he not? Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And finally, God also promises to work through you and to bring glory to his name. You can have a glorified life serving God here on earth. John 14.12 says, "Um, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. The nation of Judah was discouraged because they kept on looking back in the rearview mirror, comparing the new building, the building of, that Solomon had built, and God said, Stop focusing on that. And rather do what? Focus on the promises that I've promised you. Focus on the covenants I've made with you. Stop looking back and comparing. No, rather focus on what? My promises. My promises towards you. And it's the same promises that we can ground our feet on today. So why should you care? Right? Why does it matter? What do we need these promises for? Well, remember, God had to encourage his people because they were in the midst of a building project. They were in the midst of doing a work he had called them to do. And let me tell you, if you, if you, if you were here Wednesday, that, that's what we talked about, right? There's still a work that God has for every single one of us. There's still a work that God has for every single one of you in your life. And yes, uh, for, for the children of Judah, it was to build a building. But the work that God has for us goes well beyond this building. What does it look like? Well, uh, the, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is the Great Commission. It says, go you therefore and teach all nations. This is in Matthew. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We still have work to do. Look in front of you. Look around you. Take a look. How many pews are empty? I don't think we've finished the work he's called us to do, have we? No, we're still amongst the work. And yes, it might have been easier to talk about the Lord back in the good old days. And yes, you wouldn't have been faced with much, as much opposition talking about Jesus Christ back in the good old days. And yes, it may seem like it's, it's just not the good old days anymore. I really can't witness to people at work. I really can't witness to people at the grocery store. But guess what? God's saying, don't compare today to the good old days. Stop looking in the rearview mirror. I've called you to do a work. And place your feet on the promises I've given you. I'm going to be there with you. Yes, they may mock you. They might ridicule you. But look, there's still work that needs to be done. And if you're not careful, you, you, you start wishing that the days were, were back in the day when everything was easier to talk about God. And what ends up happening is you become a stagnant Christian who hasn't witnessed to somebody in years. The last time you gave out a track was the day after missions conference the previous year. There's still work to be done. God has also given us the task of, of living wholly separated lives. And yes, that's, that in itself is getting so much harder day by day, especially in the society we live in today. Promo- the culture around us is always promoting sin as a new way of living. But let me tell you something. God has promised to be there with you. God has promised to give you the resources to stand against that. God has promised that, that, he, he, that he saved you and he will give you the strength to fight against those temptations, to live a holy, purified, sanctified life away from the world. There's still work to do to raise a family that honors God. The good old days. On Wednesday, Wednesday, we talked about the first message that Haggai brought to the people of Judah. And the sad thing is that many people are still stuck there. They can't get past that first message, right? Some people still don't care that they have work to do. And the people that don't care that there's still work to do, they don't care about the second message because they never even started building again. They, they still don't care. But for those who, who, who grasp the fact that, that God still has work for every single one of you, for, for, the, for those that still grasp that, that said, okay, God, I'm getting started again. I'm going to keep on doing the work you call me to do. Let me tell you, man, it's not going to be as easy as the good old days. And it may seem like in today's society, like in today's world, I would have loved to be a Christian back in the good old days. And it's easy to look in the rearview mirror and say, man, it was easier to witness back then. It was easier to be separated and holy back then. But let me tell you guys something that God, the promises God has given us, the promises that God has given us to encourage us, they don't come with a little, uh, with, with, a, with a tiny little print at the bottom that says, um, these promises are true unless the times get really hard. And these promises were true from this year to this year. No, those promises are still true. And guess what? The work is still there to be done. Like I said, look around you. There's so many pews that are empty. Why? Because we still need to get the work done. And yes, I, I, maybe, maybe the point of this message is just for everybody to, just an encouragement, focus back up on what? Don't look around you and focus so much on, on how, how sick this world is and, and how hard it is to be a Christian and how hard it is to be a light in such a dark place. Don't focus on those things, right? Focus what? On the promises God has given you. Jesus didn't ask Peter to come out on the water uh, when, when, the, when the waters were calm, did he? No, it was storming. But Jesus said, you just focus on me. And guess what? The circumstances around us as Christians, they're only going to get worse. And if if that's your excuse for for, for not doing the work that God has given you to do is because times are just hard and it's a little difficult to be a Christian in 2024 in America, let me tell you, you're never going to be able to do the work God has for you. No, take your eyes off the circumstances around you, off what the world looks like around us today, and place your feet on what? Place your eyes on the promises God has given you. The promises that we can trust to be 100% true. The promises that He will be there to strengthen you. The promises that, he will, that he, he will save you if you call upon His name. And that once you're saved, guess what? You can't lose your salvation. Maybe the promise that salvation is for all. Because we're not Calvinists. We don't believe in that junk. Salvation is for all. Place your feet on the promises that, that you're now His child. And He's, he's going to give you the resources you need to be a witness in this dark, dying world. So, why? Why is this work so important? Because one day, guess what? The glory, the peace, it shall be fulfilled. What does that mean? Christ is coming back. And whenever you stand before God, what will your answer be? God will say, I had a work for you, I had a temple for you to build. And you were too focused on your own house to do the work I call you to do. Or maybe you started. But you got so, you started focusing on the circumstances around you and looking in the rear view, wishing it was just easier, like back in the good old days. And you failed at doing what I called you to do. No. Why don't you just plant your feet on the promises God has given us. First of all, take the job seriously. Remember? Uh, Get your priorities straight and and, and start tackling the work that God has given you to, to, to work on. And whenever those hard times do come, plant your feet on the promises He's given you. Don't look back at the good old days. It's like driving a car, and we're done with this. Just just a quick little encouraging message, but uh, it's like driving a car, right? Uh, If I were to get in and buckle up, uh, the rearview mirror is helpful. It's helpful sometimes when you want to see what's behind you. so You can avoid certain things. But if you try to get to a destination, looking out the rearview mirror the whole time, you're going to have a hard time getting there. So yes, the past... The good old days, the glory days, they're helpful. You can look back and learn some mistakes. You can look back and, and maybe get some encouragement. But that's not what God has called us to focus on. God wants us to focus on his promises. And that will help us get the work that he asked for us. That'll help us get that work done. Let's go ahead and, uh, and pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day, Lord. And I just uh, thank you for the promises we find in your book. And I just pray if there's somebody here who... Maybe first off, the priorities still aren't right, Lord, and, and they're still focusing on their own house, Lord, rather than the work you've called them to do, Lord. I just pray that maybe even today, Lord, they can get that right, Lord. when I mean, you prick their heart, and, and there's some, Lord, who, can, who, who, seem to be, who may seem to uh, tend to look back, Lord, and, and, to, and to wish that things were like the good old days, Lord. But I just pray that you help every single believer in this room to place our, our foundation, to place our feet on the foundation of your promises, God and to just focus on those things you've promised us to be true, with your presence and your salvation, the resources you've given us, and the fact that one day you will come back. And I just pray that you, you, be, you talk to every believer in this room, Lord, and I want Shawnee Mission Baptist Temple, Lord, to be a church that, that's a light in a dark world. And the only way that'll happen, Lord, is if we're busy doing the work you called us to do, and if, we've, you know, if we're founded, Lord, in your promises, found in your book. Talk to hearts as you see fit, Lord, and be with the rest of the service. your name we pray, amen. As Jay begins to sing, uh, just some good time to talk with the Lord. Maybe there's some things that uh, pastor talked about this morning, about loving God with all your heart, part of that. He'll lead you to do the work he's called you to do. And uh, maybe just some time to uh, just get back on track with the Lord and ask him, ask him to make those promises real in your life. Reagan Foster uh, for Stephen miles being born Monday January 15th and just keep on praying for the baby to uh, keep on getting healthier and healthier within these next couple of days. Uh, today's the last day to sign up for church cleaning uh, sheets in the back uh, we have some ballot nominations also due today if you can go ahead and place those in the white box by the by the door. The ladies meeting will be January 25th at 7 p.m. here at the church uh, Mrs. Chen will be speaking. Uh, the annual business meeting on January 31st. That's a Wednesday night, and that will be held during the service that night. Uh, prayer requests that you have, uh, if you want to keep them on the on the prayer list, just go ahead and email me, text me, or even talk to myself. And I'll even add if you want to talk to my wife uh, as well. She can go ahead and hand those to me as well. And then there's a couples retreat to put on your on your uh, calendars for February. Sign up for that. Um, there's the info on the back. And then missions conference as well in February. Uh, Brother Steve Foster, we go ahead and dismiss us in prayer.